This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Stephen Pesavento. And for as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. Mindsetters just finished recording a phenomenal episode with Michael Blanc, who is the king of multifamily investing. He is teaching and doing some amazing things in that space. But what we really focus on today is this whole idea of getting some serious clarity. How that clarity through understanding what it is that you want, understanding where you actually want to go, and how that clarity will actually get you there. Um, It's a really fun episode. We talk a little bit about self-awareness. We talk a little bit about how do you really make this transition into the things that matter most in your life. And I think it's a really fun episode. So if you like it, if you're the kind of person who likes to help others and found some value from this, consider passing this along, sharing it on social media with people that you love and care about. And uh, if you're really enjoying what we're doing, would love to encourage you to drop a five-star review uh, on your favorite your favorite podcast app, give us a little bit of support so we can keep passing along this message. Um, But without further ado, let's jump into this episode. All right, guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset Podcast. Excited to have Michael Blank in the studio today. How you doing, Michael? Doing great, Stephen. How are you? I am doing very well. Michael's an entrepreneur who's passionate about helping people become financially free with real estate investing. He's the author of the Amazon best-selling Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing and host of the popular Apartment Building Investing Podcast. He's helped investors purchase over 5,000 multifamily units valued at over $215 million through his content and training programs. He's the go-to guy in the multifamily investing space. He himself controls over $43 million in uh, multifamily assets, and uh, I'm excited to get into things. Are you, uh, you ready to get going, Michael? Let's do this. All right, all right. So obviously, you've hit some success. You're helping other people find their way into financial freedom, but why don't we start out by taking a look back? What events or influences from your childhood shaped who you are today? Gosh, there's so many. We're talking about my childhood, Steve, and I. That's pretty cool. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I had a pretty normal childhood, I would say. I don't think there's there's nothing uh, traumatic. There's there's nothing really that stood out. I, I think one of the things, if I'm reflecting back on myself, I, I think that for the majority of my life, I was afflicted by something called drifting. I just really mm-hmm. um, was just doing whatever came naturally, what everybody else did, or what the next logical step. And I didn't figure it out until I was in my mid-30s that I was actually an entrepreneur. And you know, part of that, it was my surroundings. I mean, you know, I, I, I wasn't surrounded by any kind of entrepreneurs. I didn't really know. But, you know, there's, there's clues along the way where there's certain passions that flare up when you do certain things. And I just never really paid attention to it, honestly. I just, I just kind of, you know, drifted through life. And it wasn't really until my early 30s until I started developing a certain degree of self-awareness and with that um, direction and clarity as well. So I, I would say probably, and you know, I, I think a lot of people listening, watching this may be affected by this also. I think the vast majority of people drift to life. There's a, there's a few uh, exceptions and, and you know very quickly when you're talking to them because they have such clarity and, of purpose, uh, which, which I didn't have until, you know, fairly recently. So I would say that's probably my affliction is drifting. I mean, drifting is an epidemic. Everyone that I know has gone through this at some point in time 
in some way, I mean, there's those couple few that you meet that are just so clear on what they're doing and why they're doing it. What was it for you that that helped you get that self-awareness to be able to realize, okay, well, this is the path that I'm supposed to be on? I It was starting to develop a little bit, but I think it really, it really, I think when I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad is when it kind of slapped me upside the head. Um, I was at the time in a software startup, and I, I I felt myself gravitating towards smaller startups, and I could just sense my passion develop whenever uh, I was starting new things. But I really didn't become aware of that as, as much until Rich Dad Poor Dad. And I think, and you, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people watching listening to this had a similar effect. But it was so fundamental, you know, when you feel like you you have everything figured out, you're fairly successful, and you almost know everything. When I read that book, I felt stupid. I, I really did. I, I felt like I've been misled. I've been, you know, I, I, it was just, it was such a shock to me, you know, and, and there's probably a certain degree of arrogance on my part where I thought I had everything figured out. And I read that book. I was like, my God, I'm really such an idiot. I have, I know nothing. And it, it, it really unsettled me on, on multiple levels. And at that point is when I really started like looking at my life going, my gosh, you know, you've drifted this long. And I, I had to really take a hard look at my life. What was I doing? Where was that leading me? What do I want to do? And so, yeah, that was probably that was probably the point. And then when you when you shine a light on your past, as I mentioned, you're like, oh my gosh, there's been clues for the last twenty years. I just never paid any attention to it. So you're a family man, and you had this realization at that time. How did you transition? How did you navigate that decision to go from something that was what you're calling drifting, but was much more secure than the unknown of what was on the other side. Yeah. And a lot of people still to this day can't understand exactly what I did. And I did it a couple of times. I was working for America online uh, in, the, in the late nineties, mid nineties, actually. And everybody wanted to be there and it was like the cool place to be. And I was like, no, I want to be cutting edge. I want to be a software startup company. And so I jumped ship and I, you know, I gave a bunch of stock options and I joined this. I was a third employee of this company called web methods. And everybody was like, dude, mm. you're an idiot. I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't see it that way. It's just really exciting stuff. And in and, and most cases, they would have been right about that, except for the fact that we actually crushed it in this company. Like within three and a mm-hmm. half years, we were from essentially zero in re- revenue to $250 million in revenue. We had 1,300 employees you know, worldwide, and, and it really put a bunch of money in my pocket. So when 2005 rolled around, this is when I read Rich Dad, and it's been, it was out since then, I think like seven years, right? So I was definitely late mm-hmm. to the game. And so my transition from essentially quitting my job was relatively easy because I had a bunch of money in my pocket. I was like, this is mm. great. And so what I did, I was like, okay, I have this fantastic runway. I'm just going to do every possible thing I can possibly get my hand on. And I'm going to do it all the same because I'm full-time and I can. And so I flipped mm. the house. I learned how to trade stocks and options. I did an apartment building boot camp. My big idea, though, was restaurants. And I, this is a long story, but I was surrounded by some people who were in the restaurant, franchise restaurant business. And they're like, yeah, man, you, you're going to hire a guy and he's going to run all these restaurants and you just sit back and finance them and, and count your passive income. I'm like, holy cow, that's exactly what I want. Because Kiyosaki mm-hmm. talks about cash flow business. He does talk about real estate, but he talks about cash flow businesses. And I just loved it. The model fit perfectly. It actually worked for a period of about three and a half years until the recession mm-hmm. hit. And then- not so much. Uh, and so that that's kind of when the when it kind of turned sideways on me. And I subsequently lost my IPO millions in the giant restaurant debacle. <laughs> and uh, wow. And that was a pretty dark, deep time for me. And I clawed myself out of that hole uh, with real estate investing. Well, what was going through your head when you lost millions? I mean, that was everything that you had, I would imagine. 
It's an interesting study of myself, really, because you know when things don't go your way, you're like you know you resist and you throw a tantrum, you get upset, you get frustrated, and you finally, you know, you accept some kind of worst case scenario, and you kind of settle down yourself. Oh my gosh, okay, well, the worst case can happen is this, and I don't like it. And this process can take weeks, sometimes months. Some people never get there. And in the beginning, it took me a, a long time to get there. And you kind of settle in around this worst case scenario. And you're like, oh, my gosh. And then it gets worse. Mm-hmm. Right. And then it just gets worse. And you go through the same process again. And, and you're like, okay, well, it can't get any worse than this, can it? And it gets worse <laughs> after that. Mm-hmm. And so subsequently, you recognize several things. That's at least what I learned is, number one, I don't control much of anything. And that was quite a bit different than when I was employed because I felt like I controlled everything. I controlled mm-hmm. exactly my my success, my promotions, my income almost. And I felt like I was pretty much uh, a success. And when I went out on my own, darn it, I, I could barely control anything. And it was mm-hmm. very unsettling to a control freak like me. And so I was like, my gosh, I try and I do my best. And apparently it's not good enough. And I, I realized... I don't really control anything or very little of it. And uh, that was a pretty painful realization. And and the next one was that I needed to learn to be at peace with whatever came along, regardless of what happens, because I can't control my, my, uh, my circumstances, but I can control how I react to them. And so through these cycles, uh, my level of acceptance uh, accelerated quite a bit. So on the first time around, it took me like a year until I finally settled in my worst case scenario. That got worse and maybe took me like six months. And, you know, by the time, you know, I was around 2009-10, you know, that that process accelerated quite a bit. And, you know, I was reading the uh, the, the book by Hal Elrod, the, the Miracle Equation, and he talks about this five-minute five rule where mm-hmm. within five minutes he accepts whatever comes along and nothing more. And I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I'm exactly at five minutes, but – it's uh, it's gotten a lot faster. So that was my second main lesson: is hey, you just got to be cool because you can't control all these things, and you can rant and rave about it, but it's not going to change the situation. Yeah, being able to accept whatever happens while you're on this path of of trying to make big things happen, accepting that outcome. I mean that that sounds like what I hear from so many people, but yet it's so difficult to put into practice because all those emotions are going on, all of that's happening within you, um, has it been like working a muscle where it's gotten stronger over time or was there something that you realized along the way that made it easier for you to apply? Yeah, I think it's, it's both, right? It's, it's, uh, it's self-awareness and repeated exposure to the same thing. So it's a little bit like exercising a muscle and some people learn faster and some people you know, learn slower. Some people have to experience pain by themselves. Some people can learn from others. Some people never learn. And it's, uh, you know, you really don't exercise that muscle, you know, until you expose yourself to some level of risk or lack of control. And for me, in my case, having a W-2 job, really, in hindsight, it didn't expose me. The risk was very low, uh, you know, in that, in, that, in that respect. So, yeah, I think it's a combination of both. And the other thing I learned also, and Robert Kiyosaki talks a lot, is, a lot, is this, this be, do, have concept, right? Mm. Where in most cases, we think that, well, if we want to have something, then we must do something to get it. Everybody understands that, right? Um, but there's this other thing called be in, in front of that. In other words, if you have to be is who, who are you and who do you need mm. to become before you can do so that you can have, right? So, for example, if you want a lot of money, 
what kind of person do you need to become in order to have or attract a lot of money? And for example, mm-hmm. one of those things could be gener- generous, right? Maybe I need to mm-hmm. become generous first before I actually, actually do a bunch of work so I can have a bunch of money. Whatever that case may, may be, uh, really working on your character in many cases precedes the action and the result. And that was very powerful. And I always thought this was a bunch of hooey. But the more mm-hmm. I look at it, the more important it is that you spend time on your being and much less time when you're doing and having, because if your being is right, the doing and having uh, almost naturally flows from that. It's so true, but so many people, and myself included, have been on this path where we think, okay, well, these are the things we need to do in order for us to be able to have these things, for us to be able to be the person that we want to be. But if we just flip that on its head, it's it ends up really manifesting for ourselves to be able to get to that outcome that we really wanted in the first place. That's right. So- so tell me, self-awareness seems to be a big a big topic here of realization that really sets you on this path. And it sounds like reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad was, was big for you. And there's probably some other things that came along the way. But I know that you coach and you mentor people in the multifamily space. And I'd like to take just a step back for a second and have you tell us a little bit, what is your primary focus right now? What is it that you do um, in your business? Yeah, I'm really, what lights me up is, is helping people become financially free. And I kind of consider myself the crash test dummy of financial freedom because I've done so many things. You know, I've done restaurants, mm-hmm. I've done a startup, I've learned, you know, I've traded stocks and options, I've flipped houses, I wholesaled, I lease optioned. Oh, what else did I do? Oh, I negotiated short sales for a period of time, right? And it was all in this quest for financial freedom. And some things worked, some things didn't work, some things worked, but it wasn't quite right. And so it took me like 10 years to kind of figure it out. Now, in between, I was in a state of semi-retirement, so it counted for a period of time, but it wasn't permanent. And so as I look back on all the shenanigans I've done and, you know, when, and then after flipping houses, I sort of kind of got back into apartments. And meanwhile, these apartments are, are sending me mailbox money, but not nearly as exciting as flipping houses. You know what I mean? And after a while, I was sure. like, man, I'm great making great money on these houses. But man, if I stop doing it, I, the money stops flowing. Once I sell this house, the money is gone. It's like there's no, no income stream from it. And that really is not what I wanted. I didn't, I thought I wanted to be a real estate investor. But what I really wanted was financial freedom. And so once I figured it out, I was like, man, can I shortcut this in some way? And so mm-hmm. the answer to that is yes. And it's with multifamily investing. And, and what's really cool about it is people always think this is an advanced strategy. You know, let me, let me uh, landlord for five or 10 years and I'll, I'll take that experience and the money I make and I'll graduate to multifamily. It's not a bad plan. It's better than 90% of, of other people, but it's unnecessary. In other words, people who are successful don't necessarily have experience. They don't even have their own capital. You don't need a million dollars to get into this game. And a lot of people don't believe that, uh, but it's true. You know, it's, it's really true. And what's also true is when someone does their first multifamily deal, it doesn't matter what size it really is, the second and third basically happen automatically in rapid succession. Like I call it the law of the mm-hmm. first deal. I talk, to, I talk about that a lot. And it's so universal mm-hmm. that all I have to do is, is get someone to do their first deal. Because the second mm-hmm. literally will happen automatically. It's super cool. It takes a very complicated thing. Oh, I want to, how many hundreds of units do I need to quit my job? You know what? It doesn't really matter. Why don't you just do your first deal and you pick your first deal? It could be a duplex. It could be a hundred unit. I don't care. Whatever you can wrap your head around, let me help you do that. And so that lights me up. When someone does their first deal, we give them these, these coins. They're called first deal maker coins. You know, they look like, they look like that, right? And then when they quit their job, they get these blue coins. These are called Freedom Hall of Fame coins. 
And uh, people can do it. I mean, a lot of people do it within a year. It's it's insane, right? And it's over and over again, regardless of where people come from, what their background is, whether they have experience or not. And that really lights me up because I think financial freedom is a precursor to being able to live a life of significance. But it's very mm-hmm. hard when you're working 50 plus hours a week to provide for your family and you come home exhausted, maybe put the kids to bed. And I'm like having a conversation with you. Hey, man, you really should live into your purpose, man. You got to figure out what you're here for. And you're like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, I, I don't even have the time to think about any of that stuff. And so, um, so you need, you need like, you need this, uh, the financial freedom. You need to cover your living expenses, but you also need to have the capacity to think about something greater. So I think there's a, it's a sequential step. Financial freedom precedes in many cases the ability to live a life of significance. Well, it's difficult for people to grasp when you start talking about living a life with purpose when they're stuck in the grind and they don't really see a way out. And I think what really happens is what I've seen. It sounds like what you're describing here is there's this gap between people believing that it's actually possible and them seeing other people doing it. And that gap in between, uh, it could be really tight or it could be really big depending on what those beliefs are. But once they do that first deal, all of a sudden it opens up so much more possibilities because it becomes a reality. So for, for those folks that, you know, to bring it back to self-awareness, when you're working with those clients, when you're working with your coaching students or people that you're mentoring, how do you teach people or how do you encourage people to become more self-aware? Because through that process is what really allows them to understand where they could fit into the equation, um, wherever it might be. Yeah. I mean, self-awareness is a predecessor to, to creating clarity. Okay, and, mm-hmm. and this is, I think, one of the, one of my biggest life lessons is is clarity. Clarity of of what? Clarity of purpose. Clarity of mission. You know, your why factors into that. So if if I study the people who are successful versus the ones who don't, they have the ones who are very successful have a a high degree of clarity. They know exactly what they want. They know exactly what they don't want. And what they don't want is they don't want to be in the same situation this time next year. For some reason or another, that is completely unacceptable to them, and they're very clear about that. And they are they they literally 100% are successful. The people who are less successful are the ones who are murky about what they want and what they don't want. They might say, oh, I want to quit my job, and I'm going to sign up for this high-end mentoring program, and that's what they do. Great, good for them for taking action. But they're really not clear about what they want and don't want. So what happens is they may start this program, and then two, three months later, they accept a promotion at work. Tell me again why you just accepted this promotion at work. I thought you told me that you wanted to quit your job in 12 months. And now you accept the promotion where now instead of working 55 hours a week, you're working 80 hours a week, you're traveling 50% of the time, and you have to manage 100 people. Like, help me understand that. Mm -hmm. And it's because they're sending mixed signals into the universe. And so in my mind, clarity is super important. We talk about that be, do, have. I think fundamentally Mm -hmm. that be on, on a fundamental level that B, you have to get clear on what you want and what you don't want. Because if you're not, your do and have is, is not going to be ineffectual. It's not going to be efficient. You're going to be wasting energy in doing so that you can have because you're not actually clear in the first place. So what I'm saying is really in the beginning, helping someone become clear in the beginning makes all the difference. Clarity. Clarity seems to be the foundational piece Um and so when you're, when you're coaching somebody, and, and I'm sure a lot of listeners are dealing with this right now, 
you know, they're, they're thinking, Hey, I want to be, I want to flip houses, but I want to do multifamily, but you know, I want to go sit on the beach and I want to spend time with my family. I want to do all these things. They're not really clear what that first step is. How does somebody understand how to get to that level of clarity? I think a lot of it is developing self-awareness about yourself. What do you, what do you love to do? What don't you love to do? fundamentally, and then comparing that with various strategies, right? We talked a lot about strategies. Oh, you can, you can invest in stocks and options. You can flip houses. You can landlord houses. You could get into self-storage. You could do X, Y, and Z. Comparing those strategies to what you actually want. For example, I wasn't very clear about the fact that I was flipping houses. We flipped three dozen houses. Good for us. But man, I, what I really wanted is I wanted, uh, I wanted to be able to control my time. Well, if I'm flipping houses, as, as you and some of your listeners may know, while you're making money, it's a very active job, right? And if you can't just take 30 days off and do whatever you want because it's a, it, there's always stuff going on. So, so it checked off some of the boxes, but the fundamental box it didn't check off, which was, which was, hey, I want really passive income so I can really do whatever I want. Now I can do more of it, but that did not check that box off. So I wasn't clear in my mind what I wanted. I thought I wanted to, be, I wanted to work for myself in real estate which I did, okay, but I wasn't clear what that really meant, okay? So when, when people compare strategies, they have to be clear about what they want. They also, though, can't be ignorant about certain things. And, and specifically with multifamily, the, the level of people think is actually not true. Oh, I need 10 years of real estate investing experience. No, you don't. I need a million dollars to get started. No, you don't, right? And 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 so ignorance actually prevents them from making educated choices about mm. that. And so that's one of the reasons I wrote the book. As you read that book, it talks about how you overcome those two main objections. And the other thing also is, uh, let me show you the process of actually finding a deal, raising money, and closing on a deal. Because most people, when they see that, they're like, "Oh, that's not so hard." I mean, it's not any harder than flipping a house, really. You know? And they're like, holy cow, I thought this was much harder. And it's not. And so be aware about yourself, what you want, what you don't want, and then really evaluate the strategy, right? Is a nine-to-five job going to get you where you want? Maybe not. Is starting your own business going to get you where you want? Mm, maybe not, right? So really comparing the strategy, the path that you, that you, that you want to embark on and compare that with with uh you know with your own yeah you know, what you want to do this is just such a big idea because so many people talk about massive action they talk about 10x they talk about going out and doing all these big things but you first need to understand what the heck is it that you actually want why you want it and is that going to get you to the outcome that you really are going after. I've been down a similar path. You know, I went and did, you know, 200 deals in the last three years and a lot of flips and a lot of wholesales. And I realized like, wow, I got into this for the passive income, for the ability to leave and do anything I want when I want. And I have some of that, but I don't really have all of it. And so I hope that you guys, uh, all of you listeners here can take a moment and learn from some other, somebody else's experience. Maybe this isn't the path that you want to go on, or maybe it is, but Go and listen and learn from other people like Michael who's already been down the path so that you don't have to go down it to figure out what he's already figured out. So what I'm, what I'm really curious about here is going back to multifamily in particular. You went down, you, you just explained a little bit of the thinking about how you kind of made it over to multifamily, but you tried a lot of different things and you've settled here and you've stayed in this lane. What, is, what does multifamily do that all the others didn't? Yeah, a variety of things. If you put them together on the preponderance of them, it's it's amazing why no one else, you know, not everyone is doing it. 
Now, in our collective defense, you know, when I went to these real estate investing meetings, everybody, 99% around me did single family house investing and that's it. So I'm like, okay, well, that's what I'm going to do. And that's exactly what I did. But what I realized is uh, in comparison to multifamily, single family house investing is actually fairly active. Now, certainly when you're flipping and certainly when you're wholesaling, but even landlording, landlording is a little better. Now, landlording, you're starting to shift into more passive income, at least leveraging your time a lot more. The disadvantage of that is, you know, if I want to, if I want to generate $10,000 per month in, in income, I might need 30, 40, 50, I might need a very large portfolio. And if I'm going to, and that presents me with a management challenge, who's going to manage these? I could hire some, you know, part-time real estate agent to manage it for me, but then are they really going to do a good job? Probably not. Uh, how much are they going to charge me? They're going to charge me 10% of income. That's not very efficient. The guy doesn't leave much left over on now. I need 100 houses. And so it presents me with a management challenge. And the ones who are develop larger portfolios, they will develop a property management company. Well, I don't want to do a management company because that's that seems like too much work for me. Okay, so something is broken with this model. Then, you know, uh, and, and now I want to finance this thing. And, and you know, after I do my five or 10 whatever loans, there's a limit of how much I find. Now I have to find some kind of commercial uh, vehicle to do that. And the cool thing about multifamily is it takes care of all these things. It's like inherent in the business model that a professional manager charges between five and 7% of income. And if I don't like them, I can find five other people and put them in their place. Check, right? Uh, because of that, the income that's generated from that is highly leveraged. Very, I mean, I, I don't think there's sort, no such thing as true passive income. I think that's, that's a myth, but it's darn close to true passive income. I can get unlimited loans, up to 80% of the value of the property. And sometimes I can even fi finance 80% of the renovation costs. And I don't have to personally guarantee it. That's insane to me. That is absolutely insane to me. Um, and it's super easy to raise money for these, for these uh, what they call syndications, because the benefits of investing in these from a passive investor are staggering, right? Because now if I invest with you, you have a great deal. I now get cash flow which is income, which I don't get from stocks, right? You get out income. I have uh, predictable, consistent returns, okay? Which I don't really have in the stock market. Sometimes it's up. Uh, so I have consistency. The returns are actually far above the stock market when we're producing 10 to 15% average annual returns. And on top of that, if that's not good enough, the tax benefits are outrageous. In other words, a passive investor mm -hmm. probably won't pay any taxes on, on any of their income they make, which, of course, as you know, you can't do on stocks. So you put it all together. It's just a matter of me and getting in front of the average stock uh, market investor going, hey, you know what? Here's this other thing. These are, these are amazing advantages. And they're going to go, no way. They go, I'm going to go, yeah, way. And so it's surprisingly easy to actually raise money for these multifamily syndications. So you put all these things together and you're like, uh. Why would not everyone want to do that? And it really comes about down to those two things we talked about, Stephen, which is, oh, that's great, Michael. I, I heard this before, but let me get some experience and let me save us some money and I'll get back to you. And, oh, and this drives me mm -hmm. insane because you don't need to do either mm -hmm. of those things. <laughs> it's the opposite of what everyone is expecting you have to do yeah. is what you to actually get out there and, and do it. Um, one of the big limiting beliefs that I hear from a lot of the listeners, though, is when they hear about this, they think, okay, well, I don't have the money how am I going to go about raising money for something like this? And there's a big, there's a big way of thinking in what you're going to share with us. And so I, I really want listeners to look out for that uh, when Michael talks about raising capital. 
Yeah, I mean, capital is one of those. I mean, I, I had to do it uh, to flip the houses. This is my first time I raised capital, and I, uh -huh. I didn't know how to do it. There wasn't really a system for it, and I kind of figured it out. And I you know my father-in-law says, "Yeah, I'll loan you fifty thousand. You know, these are six-month loans at the time, twelve percent interest." And I was like, "No way! He's dumb enough to want to invest with me. Maybe I'll try it again." And then this light yeah. bulb went off in my, in my brain, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I don't have any money." but I can do stuff even if I don't have any money. Like that was just that, that possibility was so foreign to me, you know? And the other one is, you know, should I accept money from friends and family? Well, if I lose our money, it's going to make uh, Thanksgiving kind of awkward, right? Maybe I shouldn't do that. And that is mm -hmm. a huge limiting belief for people because whether you take money from friends, family, or someone you met at a networking event, it doesn't matter. You shouldn't lose anyone's money. Okay, so mm -hmm. it, it really doesn't add or subtract anything. Um, and, and the number three, the actual process of raising money is much easier than people, than people think. All you have to do is know what the heck you're talking about and share your enthusiasm with people like I just did here. Oh, you're not going to believe this thing. I'm getting in apartments and my gosh, you got cash flow, you got incredible returns, and you're not paying taxes on it. And they're like, what? Yeah, you can reduce your taxes. And, and now they lean in. And when they're leaning in, now there's an opportunity for you to talk more about that. And you're not going to convince everybody. You don't need to convince. All you have to do, I, I, I look at raising money like this. It's really sharing your enthusiasm with people. And some people will, will go, mm. huh, tell me more. And some people will go, oh, it's not, it's not for me. And that's fine. So all you're really doing is sharing your enthusiasm with people. And that's, in a nutshell, the money raising process. Have a little confidence and talk to some people and you'll raise some money. I, uh, I think that's it's a great way of looking at it. So tell me, Michael, how would you define success and what is success to you? Yeah, no, it's interesting. You asked it. I mean, it certainly changes over the years. And, uh, you, know, my, mm -hmm. you know, my vision of success 20 years from now and even 10 years from now is substantially different. I, I think for me personally, my definition of success has evolved from a more self-centered success to a, um, to a not, right? So um, my success is helping a thousand people quit their jobs. Like that's my goal right now. I don't know how long it's going to take me. I don't know how long it's going to take me, but that's kind of my, my goal right now. And so that kind of lights me up every time someone does, does a deal and we give them these, one of these red coins, I know they're about one to two years away from getting the blue coin. And that really lights me up, right? To me, that's a success. Like for me, doing our own deal, eh, marginally interesting, but me doing a deal with someone else who, who might, might, this might be their first deal, super exciting. So mm -hmm. to me, success has shifted uh, really more to a, a more of a mission-based um, goal that, that we have. And I, I really do believe that if you help enough people, I think it's Zig Ziglar quote, enough people help what they got, help help them get what they want, you will get what you want as well. And I really believe that. And I think I think looking back on myself, every time I had a, a more of a self-centered goal, which typically happened to be financial, I always struggled achieving that. You know, versus mm -hmm. not setting a goal that's about someone else, and then in in and therefore mm -hmm. satisfying that goal, helping the other person, you get what you want as well. Again, it's that be do have thing. You got to be right up here in the mind and the heart um, before you do and have. Because if you're not right, I I, I kind of look at my mm -hmm. restaurant experience that way. I mean, my goal really was financial freedom. It was a a hard financial goal for me and my family. Now you can say, okay, I was selfless mm -hmm. and I included my family. Not really selfless. It's kind of selfish, right? And, and my motivation wasn't, my heart really wasn't in the right place. Now, I'm not saying that's why it failed. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying mm -hmm. um, I observed that with a lot of people when their goals are purely financial, there's nothing behind it. They almost always struggle with achieving those goals. Mm -hmm. So on the journey that you're on right now to success, do you feel successful? I do. 
I, I do. I, I, I don't, I, even though having said that, I'm far away from achieving my goal. Maybe in any successful, I kind of feel more fulfilled. Um, yeah. I guess. I feel that from you when you talk about it. And, and fulfillment seems to be one of the common traits. Once people get beyond a certain level of income, they realize that there's so much more to life. And it always comes back to that contribution and helping others. Yeah, and it does come from a certain degree of financial freedom, right? If I, if I were struggling, you and I wouldn't be having this kind of conversation, right? We'd be talking more like, hey, I should probably maybe get, a, get a second job and I should work harder, right? And so this mm -hmm. is why financial freedom, I do think, is an important precursor to opening up someone's life to something greater. Not always, but many times. Yeah. So on a habits front, what are some of your keystone habits, the things that you do on a daily or weekly basis that help you lead to a good life? Yeah, I think one of the things that I started about two and a half years ago, uh, back to the, uh, the whole theme of, of raising your level of awareness to great clarity, um, is The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. And I mentioned two of his books, Hal, you better send me some checks in the mail. Uh, we mentioned The Miracle <laughs> Equation earlier, which is cool. But the Miracle, uh, the Miracle Morning is his first book that he wrote. And he really talks about, hey, how do you conduct the first, uh, the first 60 minutes of your morning? And it's a rhythm of reading, silence, meditating, praying, whatever you need to do, visualizing, uh, writing as well. And that really, to me, was a key uh, factor in developing and raising my level of awareness. And from that, again, uh, we get create clarity. So that's my probably my number one advice to create clarity is to have this kind of morning routine. The other thing is, you know, having regular retreats with yourself, you know, really sitting there and just sitting there with a pen and paper and just thinking. Uh, and that's hard to do when you're putting mm -hmm. out fires, reading emails, and and doing whatever you got to do. It, it's very difficult to create clarity in that kind of environment. So you have to you have to create the times in your calendar where you can do that. Mm -hmm. Such good advice. So we've made it to the growth rapid fire round where the questions are quick, but the answers don't need to be. So tell me, what's a book other than The Miracle Morning that's impacted your life the most, or one you're excited about right now? Yeah, I mean, I, again, Hal Elrod, you better be listening to this thing. His Miracle Equation is a pretty good one. Um, and I'll tell you why the miracle equation is pretty good because it redefines goal setting in a way that you can never really fail mm. in any kind of goals again. And the gist of it is that, and, uh, the reason for that is because you really, uh, you commit to the outcome and the result, not the timeline. So when I say my goal is mm. a thousand people who quit their jobs, I didn't say when that's going to happen. Uh, I want it to happen at the end of the next year, but what if it doesn't? Does that mean that I should stop pursuing that goal? Does that mean I'm a failure? Does that mean I should throw up my hands and quit and cry like a little girl? No, it means that I need to commit to the outcome. And if it takes me a freaking decade, then it's going to take me a decade to do. And that's kind of what he talks about. And, and it kind of takes the pressure off you where we always were taught to set goals and put timelines uh, after that. That's, that's definitely one. The other one is uh, the one thing by Gary Keller. Really cool because, again, mm. it, it, it forces you to create clarity. And uh, it's a key component mm -hmm. for that is that what is really the one thing that if you could achieve that one thing, it would make everything else easier or even completely unnecessary, right? And, that's a, and then also, mm -hmm. how do you then make time to uh, make progress to that one thing? So it's a super practical book. So those are two books that uh, I really love. Love those. Love both of those books. Uh, Gary Keller, it's, it's like he hasn't put out a bad book, I think. From an inspiration standpoint, who are some of your mentors and how do you look at going out and finding great mentors or coaches in your life? Yeah, I mean, man, when I did the restaurants, the, my fundamental uh, mistake I made is I did not surround myself with mentors. And I think it was because uh, of a high degree of arrogance on my part. I had a bunch of money. I was the man. I didn't need any help. 
And man, that is so, mm-hmm. so, so wrong, right? So, so now, I mean, and you mentors are on, a, on so many different levels. I mean, you could listen to a podcast, listening to you or other podcasts. I mean, it's amazing how much you can learn from just listening. It doesn't even cost any money, right? It's awesome. So you have a, you have this this you have this opportunity to have unpaid mentors that you never had before. And in certain things, if you really want to do certain things, my gosh, if you are able to invest in a mentor, it just accelerates that, right? If if I want to get if I want to run a marathon, which I don't, but if I did, I would probably hire a coach, <laughs> and that coach would show me exactly what to do and how to get ready for that marathon, so I can probably do that in six months if I wanted to. Well, if I did it all myself, it would take me. 18, 24 months, and I might not actually ever get there because I'm doing things wrong. It's all about technique, right? So sometimes it makes sense to hire a mentor. And sometimes it just it's great just to read books or listen to podcasts. Some great advice. So finally, from a purpose perspective, what drives you to live your best life every day? Yeah, it's, you know, it's like right now, it's just helping people become financially free. And, um, you know, and and just doing what we can to help get the message out to more people and and everything that we do, we want it to be more effective. We want it to be faster, more effective, more efficient. Uh, so that kind of, that's what gets me up right now. I don't, I don't need to, at the moment, don't need to develop a whole bunch of new programs or anything like that. I just want to get better at what we do and just help more people. I love that. Well, this has been great. I know everyone who's been listening has been getting a lot from this. So where can people find out more about you or get in touch? Yeah, so my website is themichaelblank.com. I, I pronounce it funny, but it's really uh, Michael. So the T-H-E, Michael, blank, B-L-A-N-K.com. And we talked a lot about raising money. I do have a, a free download if people want it. Uh, just go to the same website, and it's uh, called A Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. And you can get that for free. We have all kinds of free resources. We have a YouTube. We have a podcast. Um, and we have a book that you mentioned earlier. It's on Amazon. We also have live events. We have online courses and and uh, coaching as well. So my advice is just check it out. So, you know, ha- Keep an open mind. Hey, is this something I could see myself doing? Is this something that fits my goals? Um, and you don't have to spend any money to, to answer that question. Uh, and once you do answer that question, find someone you can go deep with. And there's other people doing what I'm doing. Find someone you resonate with and then just go deep with that person. And, uh, and it's changed a lot of people's lives. That's great advice. You guys can find all those links in the show notes. And uh, Michael, appreciate this. And uh, I look forward to the next time we get to hang out. Steven, this is awesome. Thanks for having me on the show. What an incredible episode. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed putting it together. And I want to tell you about this incredible program that we're now releasing. We're putting it out live and I want you to be a part of it. If you happen to be a high-level real estate investor who's really pushing things to the next level, who want to get the most out of their business, they want to take consistent action on a regular basis and work from a place of clarity so you actually can end up at the outcome that you originally got into this game for. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I know when I got into real estate investing, I had planned on doing this so that I could get passive cash flow. And I got distracted along the way. And I got distracted with things that were incredible and amazing, and I grew like crazy. But sometimes we got to get back to that core. What? are we doing this for and why are we doing this? And there's so many, there's so many things that we're learning in every single episode that we need to start applying in our daily basis every single day. So what I've put together and I've brought together an incredible mindset coach who has been doing this for years and years, has 25,000 hours, previously worked with the Tony Robbins organization and many others, and is going to be delivering and training us. He's agreed to do this in a small group setting. Um, so 
I know a ton of people are going to be interested, and there's very limited spots available. This is not false scarcity. We're only going to take 15 people for the first group. So please make sure you head over to the website, theinvestormindset.com slash action, so you can find out a little bit more and add your name to the wait list so that when we're ready to pull you in, we can start having that conversation and decide if you're a great fit. I know the power of this stuff. I've invested tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars in order to grow myself and my business to the next level. And that's exactly why I'm so grateful that we're going to be bringing this out live and really making a big difference. So join us in this mini mastermind online, this program, and let's help do some incredible things together. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level. 